Hey, we're honored to have you today. Uh, my name is Devin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, I actually lead the Tri-County campus all the way out in Bellingham. Can we give and show some love to all of our campuses, Framingham, TC, uh, online, even Ashland location. Uh, one thing I love about our church is uh, we're just a good-looking church, y'all. Come on. Nobody else agrees with that? That's great. Praise God for that. So you guys are just a bunch of ugly people. That's what it is, okay? I'm kidding. Um, I'm, I'm so excited about the series that we're in right now. Uh, we're in a series called Class is in Session. Can we all repeat that out loud? Say, Class is in Session. And what we want to do is we want to increase the humility and the teachability of our entire church. Let me just tell you something. Uh, I got a lot to say in a short period of time today. So do you guys have your notes ready? Okay, do you guys have your notes ready? So take out some notes, grab your phone, a notepad, whatever you uh, are bringing today. Uh, I want you to write down a few thoughts today that I want to pull and extract from Scripture. Because um, I believe that God's going to speak to you today. But I'd like to get right into it. This is my first time preaching uh, for a while. And the first time with this massive LED screen. How many love this thing? This thing is awesome. Can we shout out to all the AVL, all the Dream Team in the back that's doing all this stuff. We love you guys so much. All right, let's get to work. You guys ready to go? All right, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Uh, verse 27, Luke chapter 4, verse 27, and uh, I want to do part two of classes in session. One thing that's really special to me is uh, oftentimes because our church has grown and multiplied so many times, um, our family, like particularly the Fry family, doesn't get to be in service together often. And so I just wanted to honor my mom and dad, the lead pastors of this house, Pastor Derek and Stacy, who are here. Can we honor and show some love to our lead pastors, everybody? Come on, TC Framingham, I'm talking to you guys too. I love mom and dad so much. Thank you for believing in me. Um, one thing that's amazing is uh, my parents gave me the opportunity young to learn how to lead. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, at 21 years old, I started preaching. And now I feel like I'm 75 years old because of the responsibility. But um, they believed in me when I was young. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, I'm proud to have you guys as my parents. I'm proud to have you guys as my pastors. And uh, it's an honor. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verse 27. This is what the Bible says. Throw it up there, guys. Luke chapter 4, verse 27. This is what I want to teach on today. And uh, I know it's going to be a unique conversation uh, because the title of my message is this, The Curse of Confidence. The Curse of Confidence. Now, confidence in and of itself is not bad, but not everything that comes with confidence is good. And that's what I want to teach on today. Luke chapter 4, verse 27. Throw it up there, guys. This is what the Bible says. If you guys don't have it, I'll throw it up. On my notes. This is what it says. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Do you guys have it up there or no? Yeah. Okay, you guys do have it. It's just on the screens. Perfect. This is what the Bible says. Praise God for that iPad. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. This is what it says. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed. But only one man, Naaman the Syrian. This reads, this concludes the reading of God's word. I want to preach today from this title, The Curse of Confidence. Father, we love you. I pray today you would speak to us, help us, uh, Holy Spirit, to be able to receive your word. I believe that this could change somebody's life. And so I ask that you would increase our humility and our teachability. I also pray that you would break a spirit of stubbornness. God, that literally we would be able to receive this 
that there would be healing and reconciliation in families. Father, put me on like a glove. Use me. Speak to me and through me today, Father. I believe that this is going to change generations, families, situations, wherever we are at. In Jesus' mighty name, help us to see Jesus clearly, hear from heaven, and to encounter the power of God. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. And come on, everybody here said? Come on, everybody here said? Amen and amen. Can we put our hands together and praise God, everybody, today? All right, listen, one thing. Before we get into it, are y'all going to talk back to me today or no? Okay, I was preaching in Miami last week, and there's this one guy, when I, when I started going, and this vein started popping and spit started flying, he started saying, you better preach, pastor. I need you guys to be like that today, okay? So there's one of my friends in this church, he always goes, when I start teaching the Bible really good, he always goes, open the scroll. You can say whatever you want. I don't care what you say. You can speak in a different language. You can say, I'm Deus to sail. I don't care what you say. Whether you're Portuguese, Brazilian, Latino, wherever you come from, just holler back at me. Sounds good? Okay. Um, So let's start with a little illustration, okay? So there's five guys on this plane. There's a pilot. There's a doctor. There's a lawyer. Thank you so much, Sergio. Pilot, doctor, lawyer. Uh, There's a preacher, and there's a young man. And they're flying. Midway through the flight, they get this announcement on the flight intercom. They say, mayday, mayday, this plane is going down. And so everybody starts freaking out. And what they see next is the pilot jumps out with one of the four parachutes that are on the plane. And so all these guys are looking at each other like, what in the world are we supposed to do right now? So the doctor turns up and he goes, I've saved thousands of lives. I need to save thousands more. So he grabs a parachute, jumps off the flight. All of a sudden the lawyer turns to all these guys, to the preacher and to the young man. He goes, I'm one of the smartest men on the planet. And the world needs me. Grabs a parachute, jumps out of there airplane. The preacher looks at the kid. The kid looks at the preacher, and they're in this dilemma. We got one parachute left. Who's going to take it? And the preacher turns to this young man. He goes, young man, um, I've lived a long, and I've lived a good life. I know where I'm going when I die, and so I want you to take this parachute. And so the kid turns to the preacher. He says, preacher, that's not necessary. It's not necessary because the smartest man in the world stole my backpack, not my parachute. (laughs) There's a lesson in this, and it's this, is that pride goes before the fall. I want to talk today about this subject that that we're discussing for the next couple weeks, which is the subject of teachability. Teachability. This is an invaluable skill that I'm just telling you we all need to increase in. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you need to increase in this. I'm kidding. That's horrible teachability right there. All of us need to grow in this, but we're starting this. We did this series called Class is in Session. And how many love Pastor Derek's message last week? How many know all of us need to learn how to be encouraged? All of us need to learn how to be corrected? All of us need to learn how to be coached? We need to learn how to receive feedback, but sometimes we have this wall, we have this block that is not able to receive stuff from other people. And this is why I've affectionately called this message the curse of confidence, because here's a lesson that I've learned in life, both personally and professionally. It is this. Is that typically the older we get, how many know the more stubborn we get? So many of us are in this predicament. Is the older I've gotten, the more confident I've gotten in the things that I think I know. And the more confident I get in the things that I know, I actually have a hard time receiving from people that are younger than me. That maybe have more authority than me in some areas. How many know when you're confident in an area, typically you get more stubborn in that area. Confidence in and of itself is not a bad thing. I need you confident. Come on, you don't want to go into a doctor's office and you don't want an insecure doctor working on you with your stomach opened up. How many know that's a bad day? 
You don't want an insecure chef feeding you bad food. Come on, you want some confident people in your life. Confidence is not a bad thing, but how many know all of us have some stubbornness that we need to confront and we need to address? This is what I call the curse of confidence, and here's my definition for this. The curse of confidence would be this, is you are self-reliant and you are not God-dependent. Let's add another little translation to that. You are self-reliant, but you're not others-dependent either. As you have become so self-sufficient that you could do life by yourself because you are your ruler, you are your king, and you're your own leader. And let me just tell you, when you're doing life by yourself, the only result of doing life by yourself is misery and isolation. This is the curse of confidence. Is, is I want you confident. I need you confident. The world needs you confident. But not so confident that you turn your confidence into arrogance and you cannot receive from other people. Am I preaching good right now? Somebody say, open the scroll. <laughs> we got to be so, so careful. And we got to increase in our humility and in our teachability. So, so Pastor Derek last week referenced this. And he talked about teachability. What I want to do is so there's no confusion and there's total clarity. What I want to do is I want to define teachability. Can we throw up teachability up on the screen, guys? This is what teachability is. Teachability is an attitude or a disposition that can learn from anywhere, anyone, anywhere, at any time. Now, I want you to emphasize this word can, okay? Teachability can learn from anyone, anywhere, anytime. This doesn't mean you learn from everybody because how many know not everybody should be learned from? So you have to develop the skill of discernment. What is discernment? The ability to recognize a pattern and the wisdom to make an adjustment. That's what discernment is. So we have to have an attitude or a disposition that can learn from anybody, anywhere, anytime. And this is harder for the, 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 the older we get. The older we get, this gets more and more difficult because I'm 45 years old. I've had way more life experience than this 30-year-old preaching the Bible to me right now. I, I, I see these these, these conversations, I see that spirit often. And, and honestly, this is stuff that I wrestle with sometimes because I'm like, ah, I'm just, I'm just young. You know, I, I tell this often, but I'm in this tweener stage where the young people don't want me, the old people don't accept me. I'm just right in that middle stage. But we must be able to learn from anyone, anywhere, anytime to have this attitude or this disposition that can do that. But listen to me, teachability is not just hearing information, it's applying information. That's why we add to this, followed by the actions from what they received. It's not just hearing, but it's also applying. Here's what Ecclesiastes says, so you know that this is scripture. Ecclesiastes, I believe it's chapter 4. Can you guys throw it up there on there? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer even knew how to take advice. So Solomon is writing this in Ecclesiastes. And so he's basically contrasting two different characters, that there's a young man who's foolish and he's poor. But there's an old, uh, not foolish, he's young and he's poor. But then there's a king who's just foolish because he doesn't know how to take advice. This man has all the success, he has all the wealth, he has favor, he's awesome. But this young man, he goes, this man is better off. How many know wisdom got the king to that position, but wisdom needs to sustain him? And the reason he is uh, not, not as better off is because he's not learning and learning how to receive from other people anymore. Solomon, who oftentimes is referencing himself in this scripture, is essentially saying, listen, I have all the wealth, all the wisdom, and I need to be, make sure that even as I grow in success, even as I grow in insight, even as I grow in age, we have to learn how to receive from other people and receive from God. So Pastor Derek said this last week. He goes this, 
is just because you're getting older doesn't mean you're getting better. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Are you aging or are you growing? Growing does not happen accidentally. How many know growing happens intentionally? So we must be intentional about this. So not just being, I said, I said two things about teachability. Is the curse of confidence is that you are self-reliant or self-sufficient. So you need to learn how to not be self-reliant, but God-dependent or others-dependent. What I am not saying is this. I am not saying learn how to be codependent upon other people. And we need to define a couple different terms. So independence is this hyper-excessive self-reliance or self-sufficiency where you are self-governed by yourself. This is an extreme case that many people live their lives like, where you are totally in isolation and you are self-governed. And let me just tell you, like I said before, isolation and leading things by yourself, being the king, ruler, or leader of your life, and doing life by yourself only leads to one place, to misery. The opposite would be true is codependence. Codependence is an emotional, over-excessive reliance upon another person. And, and many people have relationships with people like this, and you make somebody else your God because now you no longer need God. But how many know a human being is not worthy of worship because they cannot take on the throne of being a God? So codependency is dangerous. So what does the Bible teach? The Bible doesn't teach independence. It doesn't teach codependence. It actually teaches interdependence. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 highlights that there is many parts, but there's one body. So you have an eye, you have a mouth, you have a hand. How many of the eyes see, the mouth speaks, the hands touch and feel, the feet walk? But we need each other in this journey called life. And so some of us have gifts. Some can see, some can speak, some are feelers, some are walkers, and they know direction, and they know how to make decisions, but all of us are deficient. Write this down. We are deficient by design. Am I teaching good so far? We're deficient by design. Is that God literally made you with a piece missing because it's found in somebody else, and you're not to compete with other people. You're actually to be complimentary towards other people. But we are not so reliant on other people that we're not God-dependent. I hope this is making sense today. The curse of confidence is this, is that you are totally self-reliant. But here would be the, here would be what you lose if you're unwilling to learn. That's the question I wrote down. Is what do I lose if I'm unwilling to learn? I think you lose two things. You would lose friendships. Because how many know nobody wants to be around a know-it-all? Nobody wants to be around a know-it-all. Know-it-alls, um, how do I say this nicely? They are horrible people. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around a know-it-all, so you'll lose friendships. But here's another dangerous thing is you'll lose favor. Why? Because God says in Scripture, God opposes the proud. He, God wants nothing to do with proud, unteachable people. You'll lose friendships, but you'll also lose favor. But what do you suffer from if you don't have a teachable spirit? Here's what I know you'll suffer from. You will suffer from ignorance. There is some information that is killing you. There is some lack of information that's killing you. And there's some, lack, uh, there's some misinformation that's actually killing you. And so when you are unwilling to be taught or where you're unwilling to be corrected or you're unwilling to learn from other people, let me just tell you something. You will be suffering in your life. This is why the scripture says in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 that wherever you are ignorant in, you will suffer in. So my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge is what that scripture says. So you'll suffer from ignorance, but you'll also suffer from intimacy. The people that are unwilling to be taught by others or learn from others, they will never have deep relationships. They certainly won't have a deep relationship with others, and they won't have a deep relationship with God. 
is because you don't have a teachable spirit. Matter of fact, here's, here's a proverb. I didn't send it in the notes, so you guys won't have this, but for my note takers, write this down. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says this. This is strong language. He says this. The person who hardens his neck, or another translation says is stiff-necked, stubborn, and refuses instruction after being corrected or criticized will suddenly be broken beyond repair. I'll say it again. The person who is stiff-necked or stubborn or being re- after being reproved will suddenly be broken beyond repair. I want you to do two, three things. As you increase in teachability, I talked about what you lose if you're not teachable or what you suffer from if you're not teachable. Here's what I guarantee you, you will gain from being a teachable person, okay? We're trying to increase the teachability and humility of our church family. And not just in church settings, but actually outside of it. Uh, let me just tell you, as a dad of two kids, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Ezra barely speaks English. He, English he's starting out. I can't even speak English right now. He's barely speaking English. But how many know, even as a two-year-old, I can learn from a two-year-old. I have learned valuable lessons just from my son who only speaks tongues at this point. <laughs> we can learn from anybody, anywhere, at any place because this is our attitude and our dominant attitudinal disposition. We must be willing to learn from other people. Here are three things that I'm guaranteeing you will grow if you learn how to be teachable. Number one, your influence will grow. How many would like their influence to grow? Where you don't come off as a know-it-all, but actually you will increase in people following you. But we don't want people to just follow us. We want people to follow us as we follow Christ. And so your influence will grow. Listen to me. Your impact will grow. What is your impact? Your impact is what you do to make a difference. The value you're adding to other people. If you remain teachable, if you remain a learner, the life of a learner, because class is in session and we are all willing to be taught. If you're willing to be taught, your influence will grow, your impact will grow. But watch this. Your income will grow. Because nobody will want to promote somebody that is unwilling to be corrected, to receive feedback, or learn. How many would like your influence to grow? How many would like to be a, a, a uh, leader and an influencer for Christ? Amen. How many want their impact to grow where you're not just making a dollar, but you're also making a difference? Amen. How many would also like their income to grow? Come on. Amen. Praise God. I speak promotion in Jesus' name. <laughs> if you learn how to increase your teachability and you adjust and address the curse of confidence, I'm telling you, those three things will grow in your life. I don't think I need to make much more of a case that all of us need to grow in teachability, do I? Is that sufficient enough? Can we move on to another thing? Because I think you'll see three different types of people that fall into three different types of categories. So I think there are some people, write these three things down. I think there are some people that fall into the category of they struggle from an inferiority complex where you actually feel so inferior to other people and typically you're pretty competitive with other people and you just get burdened down by life. This is where you struggle with inferiority. And so this is my definition, is thinking that you're less than. Is actually thinking that I'm less than everybody else. There's a scripture in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. Joshua, I mean, uh, Moses sends these spies into the land of Canaan and Canaan represents abundance. Egypt was slavery, but they're in this wilderness season where God is saying, listen, I want to take you to the blessed life. How many want the blessed life? And so he sends out these spies to go address this Canaan land. And what these 12 spies come back with, 10 of them come back with a negative report saying this. They go, we see giants and we see grapes in the land. These grapes were huge. It was fruit. It was representative of just abundance. But we see grapes, but we also see giants. But these giants are huge, obviously. They're massive. But we see ourselves as grasshoppers. 
and they see us as grasshoppers as well. So you got giants in the land of Canaan, but these people saw themselves as grasshoppers. And how many know you can't do life right if you see yourself wrong? And so they see themselves as inferior. And these 10 people spread this rumor like wildfire. And so many people in this land, uh, in Israel, did not enter the promised land because they saw themselves wrong. Uh, anybody watch, like, you know, Disney Channel movies with their kids and stuff? Who, who watched the movie Ice Age? Come on, I know there's like 75 of them at this point. But one of the Ice Age movies, there's this mammoth. Her name is Ellie. Now, Ellie's awesome. She's hilarious. But Ellie was convinced that she was a possum because she has two little possum buddies. And this mammoth thinks she's a possum. And so you see this little, you know, tail. She weighs 745 tons. And she's hanging from this tree and because she's convinced that she's a possum. And that's what the inferiority complex does is it makes you feel little when you're actually big. This is an inferiority complex. Some people struggle with inferiority. Some people struggle with superiority. This is your thinking you're better than. Um, pride in Scripture is the most grievous and the most dangerous of all sins. Because pride turns angels into demons. Pride will turn friends into enemies. Pride will turn a spouse into an ex. Pride is the most dangerous and the most grievous sin. And we have to address the stubbornness in our spirit, man. We have to address the stubbornness in our hearts. And I'm telling you, there's a story in Scripture that I want to highlight today. And we read them earlier about a man named Naaman. Oh, my God, this story will speak to your soul. Naaman was a man that struggled with stubbornness. We're going to get into it in a moment. But superiority is thinking you are better than. But here's what God wants all of us to grow is in humility. Is in humility. So there's three different categories of people. Inferiority complexes, superiority complexes, but all of us can grow. Come on, everybody. Say amen with this. In humility. My dad teaches it like this. He says this. He goes, we are never a master of humility. The person that says they're humble is not humble. The person that says they're humble is not humble. We, we must grow in humility. And this is my definition, is thinking of yourself less. Not thinking you're less than but thinking of yourself less and thanking God and others more. That's humility. All of us must learn how to grow in humility. Am I teaching good so far? We must grow in humility. And this is our goal, is that many of us learn how to think of ourselves less, thanking God more. How many know we have a lot to thank God for in our lives? And I know life isn't perfect but come on, how many know we can still be, we can be saved, but I want to be in this place where I'm not just saved, but I'm blessed. Don't settle for good when God promises you great. And so we must grow in this humility. And it brings us to this person named Naaman. Now write, write, this, write this thought down before we go into it. I want you to write two thoughts down. Um, if I'm to encapsulate and to summarize and, and, and give a synopsis of everything that I've said thus far, that was just my introduction. We got a long way to go still. Uh, if I'm going to summarize everything, I need you to write this thought down. Here's a big idea for you is this, is a closed mind will never walk through open doors. Amen. Write it down. Write it down. A closed mind will never walk through open doors because you cannot teach somebody something that thinks they know everything. Now, if you're a person that hears this and the first thing you think of is, oh, I wish this person was listening to this message. You're the problem. Uh-oh, Lord. <laughs> If you say that and your first response is, I wish they were listening to this, 
you have a stubbornness issue. Because you need to learn how to receive it first because all of us, okay, write this down. Here's another thought. This is just coming to me now. Um, all of us will be a teacher for a season. Here's what this means. You will be in a position of influence, whether you're a parent, a coach, a, a, a pastor, a teacher, whatever you might be, a small group leader. All of us will be a teacher for a season. The question is, will you be a student for a lifetime? Wow. Well, you got to remain a student. And I just made the decision in my heart since I was a young man, and I'm going to do it in old age, and I love that our pastors lead from the front in this, is, listen, I'm going to grow until I go. Is we are constantly learning, we are constantly evolving, and even though at some point we might be 60, 70, 80 years old, that doesn't mean you can't learn something. You cannot teach somebody something that thinks they know everything. I feel the oil right now. So it leads us to a man named Naaman. In Luke chapter 4, verse 27, the Bible says this, is that there were many lepers. What's a leper? A leper was somebody that had this flesh-eating skin disease. And in this time, there was no possible cure. So you have leprosy, and you are going to die by leprosy. What would happen in many different camps, specifically in the Israelite camp, in the Israelite community and city, is they would throw lepers outside of the city, and then they'd be quarantined outside of the city. But we find this man named Naaman, and here's a key detail in the verse that we read earlier in Luke chapter 4. The Bible says this, is that he was the only leper that was healed. The only one. How many want to be the exception? I, I don't know if you heard what I just said. How many want to be the exception? Is, is I know what everybody else is doing, but I'm the exception. Come on, I want you to say that. Uh, I'm, the exception. I'm the exception. I know what everybody else is experiencing. I know what everybody else is going through, but I'm the exception. Come on, my kids are the exception. They're not going to follow the world's standards. They're going to follow God's standards and be trained unto righteousness. I am the exception. I want you to believe that in faith, that we're the exception. But the question we have to ask is this, is what did Naaman do to be the exception? Now, we know what God did is he healed Naaman. But what did Naaman do to position himself for that healing? That's what you have to ask. I want to summarize just because of the sake of time. I want to summarize the first seven verses and give you basically Naaman's description. Is this man was a commander of an army. He had favor with the king. He was wildly successful. He was incredibly wealthy. He was known as a valiant soldier. He was a man of valor is what the scripture says. But Naaman had a secret. And he had a secret that he had leprosy. And so he was awesome on the outside. But on the inside, he was dying. And I bet you there's a lot of people in this room, at TC, at Framingham, come on online, I'm talking to you too, where everybody sees your armor, but they do not see your disease. Is they see your strength, but they don't see your weakness. Is, watch this, is Naaman was clearly confident because of his success, because of his wealth, because of his wisdom, because of his favor. He was confident, but he was cursed. He was cursed with a disease called leprosy. Now, here's what I want to pull from leprosy in this story. Leprosy is something that is a flesh-eating disease, but what does it represent to us today? Because although you may not have a flesh-eating disease, what leprosy represents is the end of yourself. It represents human limitations. It's because this man was confident. This man was gifted. This man was talented. He's a commander of an army. This man was awesome. Yet he could not, how many know this? He could not heal himself. So he came to the end of himself. This was the curse of confidence. Is literally, he's like, I can do all this other stuff. I got all the success. I got all this wealth. The king is favoring me, but I need somebody to heal me because he had everything in his life. He had the whole world in his hand, but he did not have his health. And so he's begging God 
Heal me. Help me. Through some conversations with a king, he was sent off, and the king pointed him essentially to this man by the name of Elisha, who was a prophet. And the prophet gave him this special uh, word. He gave him a promise that if you go dip yourself into the Jordan River seven times, you will be healed. You won't just be healed. You'll also be cleansed. Because God can heal you physically, but what he really wants to do is he wants to cleanse you spiritually. Is, 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 but watch this, because this is a crazy story. Is he sends uh, Naaman off to this prophet, and the Bible says that Naaman walked up to the prophet's house. He goes up to the front door, and uh, the prophet Elisha sends out a messenger outside of this front door. And he says, this is what you need to do. Dip in the Jordan seven times. Go off. And Naaman got ticked. Why did he get ticked? He's looking for a prophet to receive healing, but he got ticked because the prophet didn't even come outside of his house to greet him. And so what actually happened was he was so angry, he was so mad, and he shows up with this convoy, he shows up with this caravan, he shows up with all these wealth and all these riches, and he walks up to this front door. Uh, the prophet sends out the servant, says, go off and do, go to the Jordan, dip yourself seven times, and Naaman walks away. Why does he walk away? Because he was not properly greeted and honored, because that's what he was used to. Oh, I hope you guys are getting this. He had an ego trip in this moment. So Naaman, watch this, Naaman wanted to be healed, but he wanted to be healed in the way he wanted to be healed. And so he actually wasn't pursuing healing. He was pursuing his preference of how he was supposed to be healed. <laughs> he walks away. And there was a servant that responded to Naaman. A servant in Naaman's camp basically says to Naaman, what are you doing? Don't you have leprosy? Didn't you tell us that you have this disease that you are dying from? And the prophet gave you a promise, but this is what happens in Scripture so often, is God gives a promise, but with the promise is attached to a premise. Is, I'm going to heal you, but this is what you have to do. You have to participate with my healing. And so he gives a premise to say, say this. He goes, you got to go off and humble yourself. Go 32 miles off from where you're from, and then go dip yourself in the Jordan. And Naaman responds, why can't I just go to some of the clean rivers near my city? But, Naaman, but, but the prophet Elijah didn't say that. He said, no, you need to be obedient, and your obedience will lead to your healing. But he didn't want to get healed. He wanted to be healed in the way he was healed. This showcases his stubbornness. And I know Naaman right now, all of us are like, what is this guy doing? We all do it too. Where well, we are so stubborn. Can I, can, I, can I be honest? Is that okay? Okay, you guys don't want to. I'll, I'll move on. Uh, okay, I'll be honest just because Eddie said it. Some of us want a strong marriage, but you are unwilling to drop the stubborn walls. Some of us want to reach our potential and our God-given destiny, but what it requires is you to have humility and not just do what you always wanted to do. Stubbornness is the worship of your own opinion is you are so self-sufficient and so self-reliant that you are unwilling to adjust and address the issues, not in them, in you. That's stubbornness. And that's what God wants to touch and to heal today. And we can learn from Naaman's story. So a servant walks up to Naaman, slaps him on the shoulder, and he says, Naaman, you are dying. Translate it to your life. Um, um, stubbornness is killing your influence. It's killing your relationships. It's killing your favor. It is killing so many things in your life. And he literally goes, please, the servant is begging this man, please listen to this prophet. Listen to the man of God. Listen to this man. And Naaman has a destiny decision and has a destiny moment right here. 
is he has to stand in front of himself and say, I know I walked away from the prophet, but I have to address some things inside. And Naaman did something so courageous is he acknowledged he was wrong. You want to know three words that will change your whole family, will change your life, will change your destiny and your history? Is you, you, you must be willing to say this and mean it from your heart. I was wrong. I know it's quiet, but I'm preaching really good right now. If you are willing to be able to say that, come on, everybody say it out loud. We'll do it together so you don't have to be isolated, okay? Say it out loud. Somebody say this on three. One, two, three. I was wrong. You learn how to say that, you start seeing healing immediately. Right away. We must be willing to say, I was wrong. So what does he do? He goes back to the River Jordan. He travels 32 miles, and he dips himself. What does he do? He really doesn't dip himself. He humbles himself. He humbles himself, goes into the River Jordan seven times. He gets out, and the Bible says that he was healed. He was healed, but he was cleansed. Now, if you know anything about the narrative of Scripture, you would know that numerology matters. Numbers matter. The number seven represents completion. And it is communicating to us today that this was God's complete and total working. It had nothing to do with the prophet. It had nothing to do with Naaman's. It had everything to do with God completely healed Naaman from top to bottom. And maybe it wasn't just addressing his leprosy. It was also addressing his pride. Here's what I learned from this story is that Naaman lost his temper because the prophet did not do what he thought he was supposed to do. Naaman lost his temper, but what happened next was he had a servant. And praise God for some of the people in our lives that are not impressed with us, but will call us out when we need it. Come on, somebody. Praise God for those type of people. Is that he had a servant that addressed his issue, and so Naaman lost his temper, but then he lost his pride. And after he lost his pride, what did he lose? His leprosy. This is the progression. As he lost his temper, he lost his pride, but he lost his leprosy. And if there's one thing I need you to remember from this message today, it would be this. Is that if you want to get healed, you need to be humbled. Is that, write this down, healing requires humbling. That's the whole message. Healing requires humbling. Come on, I'm talking to somebody in T.C., I'm talking to somebody online. I'm talking to somebody in Framingham. Healing requires humbling. You know, this is a pattern we see all throughout the Old and New Testament scriptures. If you know anything about the Bible, you would see this, that this is the progression. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, I would heal their land. Healing requires humbling. But that means we have to drop our stubbornness. And this is not a message for a neighbor. This is not a message for your crazy uncle. This is not a message for your prodigal son or daughter. This is a message for you. Healing requires humbling. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three practical things at the very end here. Three habits of the humble. The three habits of the humble. I want you to note this. Number one is this. Is you have to ask for help. Ask for help. Naaman had to do this. Naaman had leprosy, but we all saw his armor, but he had a disease underneath that armor. He had to expose himself to the king. How do we know this disease would cause a serious issue with his wife? And his wife loves him, but how many know this would affect intimacy? This would affect conversations. This would affect everything. Naaman had to be willing to ask for help. 
He had to expose himself and say, I, I need a miracle. I have come to the end of myself. I have come to the end of, I'm confident, I got success, but what good is all the success if I'm going to die? He literally had to ask for help and expose himself. So Naaman needed three things to get healed. He needed the hand of God. How many needed the hand of God in your life? Amen. Naaman needed the hand of God. He also needed the wisdom of a prophet. He didn't just need the wisdom of a prophet. He needed the correction of a servant. These three things will heal your life if you learn how to ask for help. Uh, here's a thought I wrote down in my notes is this, is you will never get deliverance if you always live in denial. You're stubborn. I'm stubborn. And our stiff neckedness, our stubbornness is killing your relationships. It's killing your intimacy. We have to address our stubbornness. The first would be ask for help. Number two would be this, is accept, uh, uh, acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge your weaknesses. Naaman had a destiny moment on the road back home. Is a servant corrected him and said, don't you want to get healed? And he literally had a destiny moment to say, I was wrong. I shouldn't do this. I, I, I actually want, I, I need healing in my life. I need healing in my heart. I need healing in my family. I need healing for my future. And so he made a destiny decision to say, not just that I need help, but also to say that I was wrong. Um, super transparent, very vulnerable moment for a second. Um, I was confronted by two of my leaders on my team. Rightfully so. They were in the right. I was in the wrong. And uh, they're sitting in this uh, office space and, and humbly and awkwardly, you know, they had to address an issue that they had with me. And uh, essentially this was how it went is they said, you know, P-Dev, I know, like, I know you're not one to really, this is the exact phrase, you're not one to really say sorry, uh, but I know you're more of a person of action, and so you, you showed that you were sorry. And I, I just, like, stopped for a second, and I was like, what? You think that of me? I, I, it was a blind spot, to be totally transparent. I was like, do you really think that I am unwilling to say sorry? And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, kind of a little bit of, a, like, a reputation you have. And I was, like, floored. I was like, I, I had no idea. Total blind spot. And so in that moment, the Lord was like, humble yourself. And I didn't agree with it in, a sec, in the moment. How many have ever been, in, been confronted and you're like, I don't agree with you? And I'm like, oh, there's the problem right there. <laughs> so I, I responded to her. I said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. But here's the thing about teachability or humility is you don't just say you're sorry. You make an adjustment. And so I was wrong, but here's the third thing you say, is I will make it right. So we hire a company called BCWI, Best Christian Workplaces Institute, and they do an internal assessment on many of our leaders, and I was one of them. And I got all this data and information from basically a feedback poll that I got from many leaders in our church, and I responded back, and I just uh, got all this data from Tara from this uh, company. And, and she and I were going through my data together, and, you know, here are some of my weaknesses, here are some of my strengths. And I'm, at the end of it, I'm like, How, why does anybody listen or follow me at all? But it's besides the point. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but there was one comment that stood out above the rest to me, and uh, one person stated, they go, uh, Devin is one of the first people to say, take responsibility and say sorry. And I literally just, I'm just like, oh, God. You know, I'm just starting to lose it. You ever, you ever get crying so hard you just start to have asthma? You know, just <laughs> that. 
So Tara's like, uh, uh, Pastor Devin, are, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just having a moment, Tara. Like, please give me a second. Is because I never want to be somebody that is unwilling to say, I was wrong. Oh, and I pray the Spirit of God touches you today. Come on, some of the men in the room. I know you're strong. I know you're confident, and we need you confident, but we do not need you stubborn. Is drop your walls. Don't be like Naaman, but actually adjust the way Naaman did. Don't be like Naaman at first. Adjust the way Naaman did and say, I was wrong, and I'm going to make it right. Because that's the third thing is adjust your attitude and your actions. When you adjust your attitude and actions, healing comes. How many want healing? I want healing. I want healing in my family. I want healing in my, my relationships. I want healing with my wife. I want healing with my kids. I remember the Lord speaking to me, and I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. I remember the Lord speaking to me. Oh, God. I remember the Lord speaking to me. I was praying for my son Zion. <clears throat> I was praying for my son Zion at the end of night, like we do every night. Lay hands on him. And I remember hearing the Lord just tell me, I need you to be more gentle with my son. I need you to be more gentle with him. Because sometimes I can be strong. And I think we need strength. And I don't think you should apologize for strength. But you should apologize for your stubbornness. And I was just laying hands on Zion. And the Lord so clearly said, I need you to be more gentle with my boy. Because he's, he's, he's the Lord's son first. He's, he's my responsibility and my stewardship. But ultimately, he's God's son that he has given on loan to me. And he's just saying, you're being too strong with him. And I need to protect his innocence. And I pray today that all of us would increase in humility and our teachability. Amen. And that we would break a spirit of stubbornness. Amen, Amen everybody. Amen. I want to pray for you. Oh. I want to pray for you. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? And in a moment, Framingham, in a moment, TC, I'm going to dismiss you, but I would like to pray for you first. Is Father, I pray exactly that, that we would break a spirit of stubbornness, that just like Naaman, we would come to the end of ourselves. I ask that you would increase our confidence, but you would break our stubbornness. That, as the scripture states, that I must increase, that, that you must increase, and I must decrease. And so, Father, I thank you today that you do soul surgery. I know there's some people in this room that need that. I also know that there's many people who also need this message. And so, through divine orchestration, would you, would you touch them right now? Heal our families. Heal our relationships heal our land before we before the world changes i pray that we do in jesus's mighty name amen Framingham mtc i love you guys so much online campus we love you guys so much you're officially dismissed pastors go ahead and take it over for for ashland um i want to pray for you one more time and give you an opportunity today would you everybody bow your heads and close your eyes one more time i want to let you know about the most humble act any human or divine being ever made was Jesus leaving his divine throne in heaven, coming to earth, and he humbled himself, even, as scripture says, to the point of the cross. He didn't have to die for you. 
he chose to because he is the blameless, righteous lamb of God that now you no longer have to sacrifice for your sins because there was one sacrifice made once and for all and Jesus came so that you might have life and life abundantly. But first, you need to get off the throne of your heart to remove that stubbornness, that heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh is what the Bible says. And so today I'm going to ask you on the count of three to bow your knee to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Stop ruling your life by yourself. You can't, you're not self-made. Don't be self-reliant. You're not self-sufficient. You need to be God-dependent because a God of the universe loves you. He's for you. He wants to touch you, heal you, heal your life. And before all the other things in your life get touched and healed by God, you need to be humbled first. And so would you bow your knee to the King of Kings and say yes to Jesus today? On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up boldly. Don't do this because your neighbor to your left or to your right. This is because of you. You're saying, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. One, Jesus loves you. Two, today is your day for salvation. Three, don't wait another minute. Would you shoot your hand up boldly and say, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Thank you so much. I see your hand, my friend. I see your hand and your hand, ladies. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you guys. Is there anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Repeat this prayer after me, and the worship team is going to come behind me, and we're going to sing together the song Gratitude. But say this. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Come on, everybody together. Say, Jesus. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I also need you to heal me, because I know I have something in my heart that, that makes me stuck. So, so do surgery today. I trust in you. I love you, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.